podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Let's, uh, let's go to our Bibles. And we have three passages of scripture that we're going to read. And remind me, what? What did you say wow for? Three passages of scripture? <laughs> These guys can usually only handle one passage. It's like, or four verse. Exodus chapter 34. H.J., thank you so much for putting these verses on the screen for us. Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 29. By the way, today historically is known as Transfiguration Sunday. And I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but it's today's Transfiguration Sunday. So we're going to preach on the Transfiguration. Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. And afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. Beginning in verse 12, therefore, Paul speaking, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Which means that you might want to read the previous verses there. What is this hope Paul is speaking to? I'm whetting your appetite. Go find that out. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. This is kind of like a bait and switch. You're like, you're reading Moses and going, that's amazing. I want my face to be radiant, so I have to put a veil on. And then Paul goes, we're not like Moses. Like, I'm so confused. What's happening here? And I'm not going to explain any of this. (laughs) We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Only in Christ is that veil taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. There's a lot of implication in that. Verse 16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, 
there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Mm, That was just so good. All right, let's go to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine. We're gonna identify a theme here amongst all of these passages. Luke chapter nine, beginning in verse 28. Luke 9, 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. You could preach a whole message on that. Look at that one more time. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. As the men who were leaving Jesus, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love the fact, (laughs) I love the fact that the, that, uh, the author here writes in parentheses, he did not know what he was saying. Clearly, Peter did not write this gospel. I think somebody just threw a jab in there. And there was some council that was like, yes, that's good. Let's keep that in the canon. Verse 34, while he, and you can learn more about that at our uh, Antioch School of Formation class coming up in four weeks. While he was speaking, please use that particular reference for me, for me. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, I like to paraphrase that and just kind of insert my own little translation. And the father just saying, Peter, shut. Shh. Shh, 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 shh. Listen to what Jesus is saying. I mean, he, he, he totally interrupts Peter and he essentially tells him to be quiet so that he can listen. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone and the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Father in heaven, we thank you for, Lord, the faithful, faithful, faithful people of God. And Father God, we pray today that there would be an encounter with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father God, that we would be formed and that we would be equipped in so many ways, Lord, that we would be equipped in the way that we worship you, that we would be equipped, Father, in the way that we pray, that we would be equipped and formed as we sit under the word and as we we grab a hold of revelation, truth, and insight. 
Father, as we connect to the church, universal, historical, global, we ask that we would be equipped to live faithfully for you. And we also pray today that there would be an activating, that there would be a a turning on, Father God, in our spirit into our mission, that there would be something that is flipped inside of us, God, that catapults us into engagement with the world in a greater manner. We pray these things today. Father God, help me preach today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, Let's go all the way back up here, if we could, in Luke chapter 9, again, starting in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up on a mountain to pray. He took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up on a mountain to pray. I want to start off this morning and say that there are divinely orchestrated times where God will pull you away to encounter him in fresh and new ways. There are divinely orchestrated times where God will invite you to come away with him, to encounter him in new and fresh ways. Ways We've preached this here many times before in our past. We talk about two different types of time. We talk about a chronos time, which just speaks of being faithful. Just faithful. Faithful. It's like that brushing the teeth. Faithful, faithful, faithful. I'm just doing the little things. I'm doing the right things. I'm doing the things that God has invited me into. We call this the liturgy of the ordinary. There is a rhyme and a reason. There is God is involved in ordinary time. He is involved in things like washing clothes again. And all you single people don't, you don't realize when you start adding like three and four and five and six children, it's crazy. Okay. It's just crazy. The dishes, seriously, I'm like, didn't we just wash these dishes? Huh? And they just magically appeared, magically appeared. It's like Mary Poppins in reverse. Okay. Like... (laughs) How did this just happen? It's like every kid went through every part of the room and grabbed dishes and clothes, right? And put them back. I had to, let let me just give you guys a little tip here. This is totally has nothing to do with the scripture, all right? But when you have kids, when you have kids, make sure, particularly your boys, girls, not so bad. Make sure that when your boys come downstairs with their basket full of laundry, make sure they're dirty. Make sure they're dirty. Okay, because listen, I go through his clothes. Listen, Kirby, Kirby's shaking his head. Okay, okay, here's what my boy will do. He'll pull an outfit out, look at it, put it in the dirty clothes box so he doesn't have to fold it or put it back. I'm like, dude, I got your number. Dominique, have you ever done that? Yeah, she just, that's so cute. She just goes, you have. I heard somebody say the other day that when their husband came back from a business trip and uh, she just didn't do all the laundry, she's like, go to Walmart, go buy you some more underwear. <laughs> Don't have any clean clothes. Just go buy some more. No, so I just make Kenya go through all the clothes. I'm like, hey, sniff them and check them. And if they're clean, you put them back and I'm only washing what's really dirty. Okay, what does it have to do with anything? Guys, listen, there is, there is an ordinary life. There is just a, there is a discipline of chronos time and God is involved in that. He is involved in that. But then there's these revelatory moments. There are these, what I, there are these encounters. There are these moments where God is doing something in 
the faithfulness of time, but he does it in a unique way. He does it in a specified way. He does it in a revelatory way. And, and there's this moment right here, right? We only see this happen once in the entirety of the gospels. Jesus is training his disciples. They're going through the liturgy of the ordinary. And then there's a moment where he says, it's time, come away with me. We're gonna go up to a mountain. God has appointments for every single one of us. And the, and the key is, is not to live from, from Kairos appointment to Kairos appointment, right? The key here is not to live from one mountaintop experience to the next mountaintop experience. And, and we have to be careful because we live in a sensationalized culture. We live in an experience-driven culture. culture. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll, we will display, we will would discount and downplay the regularity of the liturgy of the ordinary just so we can have that high of those Kairos moments. You know, and they come from, you know, camps or they come from conferences or they come from those special, the special heightened emotive encounters with God. The thing that creates and sustains those moments is the faithfulness in the ordinary moments of disciplined faithfulness in God. Okay? Let's keep reading along here. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. We'll just stop right here. Why Moses and Elijah? You know, I love David. David's awesome. He's one of my favorites. I relate to David. I'm like, why Moses? Why Moses? Right? Moses is all right. Right? <laughs> Moses didn't kill any lions or bears. Why does Moses get to hang out with Jesus when Jesus is getting transfigured? Right? Elijah. There's like two chapters on Elijah. Okay? <laughs> Look at Rebecca, she's like. <laughs> Moses and Elijah prophetically are speaking to two epochs of the Israelite history, okay? So massive moves that are happening in the redemptive narrative of the people of Israel that are represented in Moses and in Elijah. One speaks to what was happening in that time, the old covenant, that's Moses, one speaks to the covenant of the future. One, spe one speaks prophetically to the end of time. That's Elijah. And we see that in the end of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, in the last chapter, the last verse, where the writer of Malachi says that the spirit of Elijah will come upon you. And he's speaking to the future. All right, so now here Jesus is interacting with two figures that are very, very important in Israelite history. And they mean something to the Jewish people. One is speaking to the foundation of who they were as a people in Moses. One is speaking to the future of who they will be in Elijah. And here Jesus is amongst them. Who is the fulfillment of Israelites' past. And he is the determiner and the fulfillment of their future. All things come together. All things are held together. In Jesus, in Jesus. And so what's, what's going on here? Well, I, I don't know the full ramifications. We can, we can do some theological work here. 
we can do some theological work to say what really is happening that Moses and Elijah are coming and they're coming together in a very similar manner in which Moses went to the mountain and had this encounter in the glory of God. And then we see Paul speaking back to this later. Jesus, the fulfillment of the old covenant, Jesus, the prophetic witness of the new covenant, in the glory of the Father, something is being established here. Something is being established. And Jesus is being set apart again as the one who is the fulfillment of the old and the one who is the determiner of the future. And these three men, his three faithful stalwart disciples are beholding this. And later we'll see that something so powerful happens at this encounter that they're not even able to fully wrap their mind around it. But God builds his church, not just on the experience of these men, but he later reveals to them, hey, you remember this? Remember this. We've spoken about it. It's been written about, it's been prophesied about, and now there's been an experience that you've had that is also speaking to and submitting itself to what has been written and spoken all along. Let's keep reading along here. Um, Verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Peter and his men were very sleepy. Now, this is, this is really easy to preach, right? I mean, we, do we need to preach this, really? Peter and his men were sleepy. When they awake, they saw his glory. I'm just going to just pass over that. <laughs> just, oh, I'm going to pass over that scripture. No, let's just speak to that here for a few minutes. There is this theme that we see in the New Testament about being awake. There is this theme, this overarching theme in the New Testament to be followers of Christ, beloved, is to be those that live according to the light. To be followers of the light or to live in the light. To be followers of Christ are to live as those who are awake. We see this dichotomy all throughout, all throughout the New Testament. Sleep, referring to a number of different metaphors, one being those who are spiritually dead. They have fallen asleep. Sleep referring to just not being spiritually vibrant, okay? Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the 10 virgins, all right? Some were ready, some were prepared, some were not. They fell asleep, and then there was this moment of, oh, the bridegroom is coming. Awake, being awake speaks to this state of readiness. It speaks to a state of being prepared. It speaks to anticipation. It speaks to consciousness, It speaks to looking and seeing the right things. As Christians, we're called to live awake. You know, I I, I don't know about you, but, you know, when so many things are just coming down the pike at the same time, it's really easy to just go to sleep. It is. It is so easy to turn off and to shut down and to hide and to just fall asleep and to numb ourselves and to desensitize ourselves. But life in Christ and and these encounters that God has set aside for us, they help, they're so necessary because they help the Christian life to live awake, to live awake. Part of our missional statement here at Antioch Church is as a kingdom family, we awaken and equip 
and we send people to faithfully engage with the work of the Lord in the earth. I mean, that's something that we pray into, guys. Listen, on definitely a weekly basis, but almost on a daily basis. And it dawned on me several months ago that we could do a lot of things here as a church. We could do a lot of good things. But without the ministry and the activity of the Holy Spirit awakening our hearts, I see, I can't awaken you. I can't. And we can't awaken one another when it, when it comes to our spirit man being alive and alert and attuned to the movement and the activity of the Lord. I, I could preach my guts out and I, could, and I could still never convince you of the present ministry and the activity of the Holy Spirit today. I could do that, all, all that I want. I could preach my guts out. We could, have, we could have the most powerful encounters in God and you could still, you could still sit there, fold your arms, rationally try to make sense of all this, pick apart all the songs, okay? I'm not gonna, fold, I'm not gonna raise my hands because it's un- inconvenient, uncomfortable. I mean, I, there's nothing, nothing that a human person can do to cause that level of revelation to happen inside of your spirit that then affects the way that you live your life. And so how do we, how do we engage with that? We pray, we pray. We pray on a regular basis, God, we pray and we cry out for the move and the activity and the revelation and the illumination and the power of your spirit to come upon your people. Because preaching in and of itself will not bring revelation. Great worship in and of itself will not bring revelation. Great ministry experiences and opportunities will not in and of themselves bring that revelation. We must have the parallel ministry and movement of the spirit of God that is taking place. Listen, Elijah and Moses are showing up and Peter and James and John are asleep. I mean, think about that. So miracles are happening and they're asleep. You can be in the presence of the miraculous on a daily basis and be asleep. You can be absolutely unaware of the miraculous of God happening within, around you because you're just asleep to it. But it says right here, it says, they were sleepy. Hey, listen, I get sleepy all the time. But it says when they were awakened. And one of the things that we want to do here at Antioch is we want to partner with God to create an environment and a culture and a family that provokes one another unto a life of being awake. Okay, and there is a gracious way to do that. There is a palatable way to do that. And one of the best ways to do that is just to live awake ourselves. Live awake. Live as people that are awake to the reality that we belong to a different dimension. We belong to a different kingdom. There is something greater and something bigger and something different that is at play even in the chronos of life. Okay, we belong to a new humanity. We belong to a new creation and it has begun and we're living in that. And when you live aware of that and when you live conscious of that, that is the way that we call people who are asleep into being awake. Sleeping people don't wake up sleeping people. Sleeping people do not awake sleeping people. It is people that are living awake unto God. Let me just give some examples here, okay? I mean, we could walk through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We could walk through all the one another's. We, there's, there's so many different examples here, but let's just, let's just do it like this, okay? 
when you are awake to, let's say something like the sanctity of life, when you are awake to that, okay, now with mercy and compassion and wisdom, you can pray for those who are not. You can speak with articulation and wisdom. You can engage in a manner that is beyond just rote volunteerism and you can cause life to come because you're awake to it. Christy's been going through this series of videos called The Poverty Cure. And it's an amazing production that is done that is addressing the issue of global poverty from a kingdom and a Christian worldview. So Christy's been watching these videos because all of our AGM team, she's gonna be taking you guys through some of those. And I watched it last, I watched one episode last night and it was riveting. I mean, this is high quality, high quality material. Well, Milan is watching, she's just sitting here watching these videos. She's watching these videos with us. And it's, it's brilliant because they go literally all over the world talking with economists and political figures and pastors and bishops in Africa and India and all over the world talking about the Christian engagement with the global poor. So afterwards, we call everybody to dinner. And the first thing out of Milan's mouth, she's going to dinner. She sits down and she goes, my 11-year-old daughter, she goes, I'm so blessed. Awake. Okay, she's coming awake. Then as we're talking, she just begins talking with Christy and, and I at the table. The boys are there. She goes, she goes, what can I do? What can I do? I just love it. We're just sitting here going, nah, this is so awesome. And so, you know, this is Milan's personality. She's like, I'm going to leave right now and I'm going to evangelize the world. I'm going to end global suffering. We're like, easy, easy, tiger. That's <laughs> just so her. And then we're just like, listen, this is the season this is the season to be equipped. This is the season to mature. This is the season to grow. This is the season that you learn things like this so you don't participate with a kind of helping that actually hurts. This is the season. This is the season to be faithful in the chronos of life, the liturgy of the ordinary of life, what God is up to in the boring, mundane moments of life so that when those special moments happen, you'll be ready and equipped for them and you have a foundation to sustain them. And then she begins to weep. Milan just begins to weep there at the table. We're like, what is happening inside of you? And she, her heart is just breaking for the issue of global poor. What is happening here? And then, she, and then she says this. She goes, why do none of my friends know this? Why do the people in my school, why do they don't care about these things? And I said, but baby, listen, listen. I said, did you care about these things before you went to Nicaragua last summer or last spring? And she said, well, I said, no, you didn't. You weren't even aware of this reality. You weren't even aware that there was another cat, there's another world of people outside. You weren't even aware of that. So, but now you've, you've moved from one space and you've engaged people in another space of life and the Holy Spirit was present and you trained and prepared with the team for six months and you engaged the reality of life outside of your circle and Holy Spirit was present in that moment and all of a sudden blinders were removed. And your eyes were open and you became awake. You became awake. And that was God activity. And now we have things like her watching things like poverty cure and caring about it. Okay. You don't care about something that you're not awake to. But you have to be willing.
willing to be made awake in order to care about something that you did not care about before. Let me say that one more time. I'll say it in a different way. You have to be willing. You have to be willing. Guys, there's a massive world out there and we can't carry every, we can't carry every cause. We can't carry every need. We can't carry every person. But what we can do is position our hearts to say, God, whatever cause or whatever people group or whatever place or whatever issue in the world that you want me to be moved by, I'm open and I'm willing. And if we're all faithful to do our job, God is gonna just drop on every single one of us. Some of you are gonna care about the elderly in a way that others will not. Some of you will care about infants in a way that others will not. Some of you will care about illiteracy in the way that others will not. Some of you will care about human sex trafficking. Some of you will care about this city. Some of you will care about the South, the North, the East, the West. Some of you will care about Central Africa and Central Asia and Central America. I mean, there, there's, as, as we just posture our heart to say, God, I will carry what you want me to carry. I will become awake to but here's the thing, once we do that, we can't say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be awake to this and nothing else. We're constantly posturing our heart to say, God, I will be awake to whatever it is that you wanna wake me up to. It's possible. It's possible to live that way. I love that they were sleepy, but then when they awake, they saw his glory. We see things when we are awake. We have revelation and insight and understanding to things when we are awake that we cannot and will not have when we are asleep. Isn't that right? The glory was there the whole time. They didn't see it. And because they didn't see it, they didn't partner with it. They did not engage it. They were not moved by it. They were not changed by it. Part of this too, we'll just pause right here. I know that I said that this was a Kairos moment. But I also will say, sometimes just being faithful to where the life of God is present is one of the ways to become awake to what God is doing. Does that make sense? Like just put yourself where God activity is taking place. Insert yourself into those things. Here's another thing to just keep in mind. Whether it's school, whether it's the monotony of work, whether it's a relationship that's gone a little dry, whether it's serving in nursery or serving and whatever it is that you're serving in, whatever that might be, whether your children are young and they're not expressing a lot of outward affection right now and it just seems like all you're doing is just the mechanical, monotonous work of keeping a house going, whatever that is, listen, I want you to know that God is there in that place. He is working in that space. He is present in that reality, there is revelation and truth and insight and transformation that is possible to take place in that arena. And all we have to do is just say, God, I'm gonna faithfully engage my space today and I ask that you would encounter me. Encounter me here. Encounter me here. Meet me here. I am gonna be faithful to you and to what you're doing. Meet me in this process. In Jesus' name. Verse 33, as the men were leaving, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, for he did not know what he was saying. Two thoughts here. Uh, one particular commentary that I was reading was speaking to the fact that Peter was in some way trying to make all three of these equal. 
Like here, oh my gosh, here's, here's Moses and, and here's Elijah and here's Jesus. And, and Peter obviously wasn't operating in the full revelation of who Jesus was. And, and because his mind was so inundated and conditioned with Old Testament law and history, he thought these are, these are two of the greats in our Old Testament canon. These are, these are two of the, the superstars of our historical tradition. Jesus, I'll put up three tents and you guys can all just kind of co-dwell together. And the father has to butt in and say, just listen, because I am not saying that Jesus, my son, is equal with what I've done in the past or what I'm gonna do in the future. I'm saying that Jesus supersedes both of these things and all past, present, and future find their life, their identity, and their meaning in who my son is. And it's interesting because in Luke's account here, when God speaks, he actually speaks almost verbatim when he says that baptism. How many of you guys remember what God speaks to Jesus in baptism? Those of you in the sonship class should know exactly what that is. He says, this is my son whom I, in the baptism account, love and in whom I'm well pleased. But here we have this transition. We have this transition from this is my son whom I love. And here the father says, this is my son whom I have chosen. This is the chosen one. This is the one in whom all time and whom all life will converge. I have chosen my son Jesus to be the redeemer of all of humanity. Now, let me just end with this as it speaks to, as it speaks to mission. And Jonathan, if you would, please, I invite you to come forward. I didn't read this part of the, of the passage that happens after the transfiguration. But, but Peter is like, this is so amazing. Let's build some tents and let's just hang out here as long as we can. And guys, come on, that's, that's understandable, isn't it? I mean, how many of you guys have ever had encounters with Jesus or encounters in the presence of God and you're like, I never want this to end, I love this. Sometimes the presence of God can be a way of just anesthetizing us from the harshness of the world. And there's something that's good and there's something that's necessary and beautiful about that. Sometimes the presence of God can be like escapism. It really can be. Sometimes the presence of God can be like, God, I just, I don't have it within me to go back into that space. So I'm just gonna hang out here as long as I can. And Peter's saying, I I think Peter's kind of identifying with that. There's something really amazing here. I mean, Jesus, look at your face. It's bright, bright, shining as the sun. Let's just stay here and hang out as long as we can. But Jesus sends them back down to the mountain. How many of you guys know what's happening on the, at the same time, at the exact same time that they're having this encounter? How many of you guys know what's happening down the mountain? I mean, this is like a movie. You know those movies where like, you know, you kind of see things happening in parallel time. Because while Peter is having this amazing, amazing encounter with God and he's having this revelation of who Jesus is and everything is bright and powerful at the exact same time this is happening, there's a father. There's a father down the mountain and his son's demon possessed and he can't control it, doesn't know what's going on. And from time to time, this demon will grab a hold of his son, throw him into convulsions. I mean, at the exact same time. What would it be like? What would it be like to have a child or a parent or a loved one or a spouse? They were just completely helpless to the oppression of the enemy. 
And at any given whim, the enemy would just, just lay a hold. What would that be like? That sense of powerlessness. And we have to be really, really careful here because guys, listen, it's not an either or. It's not an either or. And it's really easy to feel guilty one way or the other. It's really easy to say, God, well, I'm having these amazing encounters with you. There There are people that are struggling with the real reality of the forces of darkness in the world. And then it's real easy to engage the forces of darkness in the world and fight on the front lines of trying to rescue people from the clutches of hell and go, I should be spending more time with God. That's not the point here. The point here is this. God has called us, awaken, equip, and send. God has called us to live in this reality, this life, this rhythm of being awakened, of being equipped by God, and then engaging the world. Jesus is essentially saying, guys, I'd love to, I'd love to hang out here too. But there's kids down there. There's kids down there. There's broken systems down there. There's marriages that are falling apart down there. There's people that don't know where their next meal is going to come from down there. They're down the mountain, guys. And there was something special that happened up here, and we'll never forget that. There was something amazing that took place, and it formed us, and it transformed us, but we got to go back down there because that's where we're needed. And the encounter will sustain us in the mission. The encounter will empower us for the mission. The encounter will do something that will give us a new perspective that will affect the way that we engage the mission. Antioch Church on this Transfiguration Sunday. My prayer for you is as it is always. I pray that we would be awakened. That we would be awakened to who Jesus is. That we would be awakened to the fact that he is the culmination of all of life and all of history. That we would be equipped that we would learn how to faithfully follow the scriptures and interpret the scriptures, that we would learn how to engage with the powers of the Holy Spirit and the principles of the kingdom, that we would learn how to live life awake. Man, I'm telling you, if we we have awakening and if we have equipping, we're not ready to go back down the mountain. We're not ready to take those tools of authority and say, in the name of Jesus, be gone not ready to develop strategic plans if we're not ready to love God with the intellect of our mind to solve problems to do the hard work to put the time in this might be a harsh statement but the awakening and equipping what are they for guys let's stand to our feet this morning I want to pray over you and I want to pray that as we come to the table of Jesus I want to pray that we would be awakened to the reality of who Christ is afresh and anew. That this would not just be a memorial, it would be an encounter. We would encounter the crucified and the resurrected Christ. I want to invite the ministers of our table to come forward. But I also want to pray that at the table of the Lord today, that we will be renewed. We would be reinvigorated, reawakened, re-inspired in the missio day, the mission of God in the earth. And that we will be faithful to inhabit these places.
where God is seemingly not present, but where he is present and he is at work. We would inhabit those spaces as the faithful presence of Jesus in the earth. Father, today I pray that as we come and as we partake of the body and the blood of Jesus, the faithful one, I'm asking you today, Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Awaken us out of our slumber. Posture our hearts to say, Father, awaken me in any area of my spiritual life that I might be asleep in unknowingly. And Father, as we behold Jesus afresh and anew, let it change our lives so that we can faithfully engage with the mission of God in the world to bring life, to bring healing, to bring restoration. We pray these things today in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.